Welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship gathering at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Please sit back and enjoy our teaching time now with lead pastor, John Buckley. If you want to take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 5, 1 Samuel chapter 5. Whenever you do a study, you come across certain passages, and um, as I was reading through this, this is one of those where at first it's like, wow, okay, where do we go with this? And then the more you dig into it, you're like, wow, where do we stop? There's so much great information, and I think God's going to use this to challenge all of us. I've entitled tonight today's message, Jehovah God. 1 Samuel chapter 5, Jehovah God. Last week, Brian preached, and he shared with you how the ark was captured by the Philistines. Hophni and Phinehas thought it was a great idea since they were going to try to conquer the Philistines, and they were scared of uh, the God that they'd heard of the, through the, what had happened in Egypt. The Philistines were afraid, and yet they're like, hey, our gods can save us. They went into battle. Hophni and Phinehas were killed. Um, when their father Eli got the news, he died, and the Ark of the Covenant was taken by the Philistine nation, or the Philistine, depending on how you might word that. So what I want to start with today is kind of lay a foundation for chapter 5 here. We're going to talk about a few different things. So the first thing I want to talk to you guys about is I want to just give you an idea of where did it all take place. And hopefully, we have a map that will go up here. There we go. Whew. A little hard maybe for some of you to see. If you're going to hear some of these, these names. So we see Israel right there in the middle. The Philistia or Philistine nation. We're going to be hearing about Ekron and Ashdod. And we're going to hear about Gath as well. So kind of keep an eye. There's Israel and there's, there, there's Jerusalem. This is all Israel, northern, southern kingdom. There's Jerusalem. You can see how kind of close things are there. And what we're going to be hearing about. I always like to visualize things a little bit different. So as we read through this, and you hear about that we went to Ashdod on the coast there, and then Ekron and Gath, you have an idea of where that's at in relationship to over just, just, just over the border there into the, to the land of Israel. So that's kind of where everything takes place in the, uh, the chapter 5 we're going to be talking about here. Now, I've always wondered, but who really are the Philistines? We hear about them, but who are they? Now, this is interesting. There is no written documentation by the Philistine nation to be able to tell us anything about them. So the Philistines themselves, as far as archaeologists have found and historians, they found nothing where the Philistines actually share about themselves. Everything that we know about the Philistines comes from the Bible and from the Egyptian writings, the historical writings of the Egyptians. Now, Basically, what the nation of Philistia was, was it was a group of tribes that had created this federated nation. They had a king, and they had lords, which would have been their tribal leaders. Now, some of the tribal leaders had bigger areas, like Ashdod was a bigger city. And they had princes over those different ones. So they were kind of like clan leaders, so to speak, uh, that had their tribes all united together to form this nation of Philistia. Now, interestingly... Since you don't hear about anything from the Philistines' point of view, the word, if you call somebody a Philistine, you're actually calling them, in our terminology, not that I hear it often anymore, but you're calling them kind of a barbaric person, somebody without class, somebody without manners, somebody who, who is outside the scope of civilized society. That's Philistine, and uh, it has a negative connotation there. 
Now, throughout all of the Bible readings of the Philistines, and even as they dealt with the Egyptians, they seemed to be always warring with somebody. And all through the, the time of the Philistines and the Israelites, there, there really isn't a time of peace. The only time that we know of that there was anything favorable, that, that at least in my research, is when David hit out in Gath, which you'll see that. Oh, the map's gone. Never mind. We went to the next slide. In Gath, but Gath was the area where David, when he acted like he was crazy to get away from Saul, he actually went over and lived in the Philistine nation, the Philistine nation for a time period. But they only let him stay there because he was crazy, and then they actually asked him to fight against his own people, and that's when things started to change. Now, there's one other person I want to lay out here for you, not necessarily person, but who was Dagon? We're going to hear about him here. Who is Dagon? Do we have the picture of the beautiful Dagon? Oh, isn't he just gorgeous there? So, half man, half fish. He was the main god of the Philistine nation, Philistine nation, half man, half fish. He was said from the Assyrian writings, said to have been one who came from the seas, who controlled both mankind and the seas, those that the creatures that lived in the seas. He was also over in his responsibilities over mankind. One of his jobs was fertility as well. That was the main god. And if you read anything, when you talk about the Syrians, or excuse me, the Egyptians that write, the Philistine nation was a very promiscuous nation. So it goes to, to uh, doesn't make, it makes sense that he would also be considered the fertility god as he was the main god. Now, the Philistines had other gods, but Dagon was like the number one god. In most temples that you find in where the Philistines used to be, they had Dagon as the god that was there. So that's kind of the background. The Philistines, where it was at, who their god was. Now we're going to jump into this, and we're going to really get, today we're really going to get struck by, more than anything, is God, Jehovah God. So let's start here in verses 1 to 3 of 1 Samuel chapter 5. And the Bible says this, when the Philistines captured the ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Remember we showed you that on the coast? Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it to the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. So they did what a lot of nations would do. They got their, their ark, they brought it. In this case, this was what represented God, and they put it to show subservience to their God, Dagon. They placed him there to show everybody else our God was greater. We conquered the Israelites, and this is their God, the representation, we would say, the place that he inhabited, but this was the way they pictured Jehovah God, and he's in this box here, and we have dominion over him. But then what does it say in verse 3? And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. That's an interesting phrase there. Nothing happened here, everybody. Just kind of keep looking. Here's our God. Now, it, now, interestingly, you have to understand the way that their temple was set up. They would have never put the Ark of the Covenant right in front of Dagon because they wanted their worshipers to come in and be able to look right up at Dagon. The Ark would have been put on one side or the other. So when Dagon fell, he had to have fallen to the side, which would have been very abnormal if any of you think, well, yeah, God's fall over. We're talking... A, a directional change, and then a falling down, and falling right in front of the ark of, the, of God. See, the first thing I want to talk to you about from these verses is this. God is the only one to be worshipped. 
Now, see, interestingly, through chapter 5, not once do you ever see the Israelites even attempting to come back and take back the ark. Were they scared? Did they think God's God, God can handle himself? Did they feel so defeated that they didn't feel like they could do anything? Were they apathetic about it? Oh, yeah, because they kind of had an apathetic approach to some degree already as a nation about God. We don't know exactly, but we know that God doesn't need mankind to show who he is. Now, I think this is a unique part that we miss. God was actually giving the Philistine nation here an opportunity to acknowledge and recognize that he was Jehovah God and that they could worship him instead of their false gods. First of all, gods didn't just fall over. They had them well established in those spots for many reasons. For this Dagon to fall alone would have been a very odd thing, but to fall and to turn in an angle that he fell in front of the ark would have been one of those opportunities for the Philistines to go, wow, who is this Jehovah God? Do you see what he does to our great God, Dagon, that we were worshiping as the conqueror of the Israelites, but now our God is bowing down before him? No, right away, all you see is they came in, they put him back up again. Hey, <laughs> everything's good. Yeah, oh, Dagon, well, he was taking a little nap, but he's back up again. We're good. But our God is the only one to be worshiped. Now, I realize in our culture, we don't have idols that we set up the way that they did in that day. But we can make idols out of lots of things in our life, good things in our life even. Jehovah God is a jealous God that desires our worship totally and completely for him. And everything else is out of whack. Our family relationships, our financial situations, our job situations, all of those are out of whack if we don't understand and really worship Jehovah God the way that he demands and calls for us to do. And if we worship him right, everything else comes into proper focus. Now, I didn't say everything else is peachy. I didn't say there's no struggles in life. I didn't say everything is easy street. I said everything comes into a right perspective. When we have the right perspective and understand Jehovah God is the only God to be worshiped. Folks, I encourage each of you to look at your lives, look at your calendars, look at who you're texting and calling, looking at what you're doing with your social media, look at your bank account, look at your, the, the things that show what the idols of our heart might be. And look at that in relationship to how you respond in the time that you have with Jehovah God. We're busy people. But folks, our life should show and reveal itself by the priorities we have and the things we invest our time, talent, and treasure in that Jehovah God is our God. And he's the one that we truly worship. The Philistines had an opportunity. God was saying to them, I am God, worship me. Now, interesting, the next verse, verse 4. The Bible continues, 1 Samuel chapter 5, and verse number 4 says this. But when they rose early, so that day was gone, they put Dagon back in his place. Next day comes. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. That happened yesterday. He did it again, and the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold 
Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. Now stop there. Wow. Okay, so God tries to say in a softer way by having their God fall over. I'm God, he's not. Next day, he falls. Now there's some symbolic aspects here we need to realize. Now we don't know exactly why his hands came off, but I will say this by studying things historically again. When an enemy army during this time period would conquer their enemies, when you'd conquer your enemies, oftentimes they'd cut off their hands and they'd pile them up as a signification of how many people they had conquered. Was it that that was the story here? Was it, was it that God had his hands break off because he wanted to show everybody, your God has no power with his hands? It's interesting that he split in half. So was, was God trying to reveal, hey, you have a God you put together that can be broken? I don't know all the reasoning behind it, but I'll say this. The second time that God didn't just fall, he broke up. As if God, once again, Jehovah God said, I am God and God alone. See, and I think the second thing we see here is God is the one who is the conqueror. Yeah, they might have beat the Israelites, but they didn't beat God. God's a sovereign God. God very well may have had this as we look at the situation. It all happened so the Philistine nation had a chance to turn from Dagon and their other gods and go to Jehovah God and worship him. Two opportunities, folks. Two opportunities to do the right thing. Now, it's interesting when that phrase there. Let's look at that in verse number five. Um, this is why the priests of Dagon... <clears throat> And all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod to this day. Now, you would think that the meaning behind that is that they were scared by it. What in essence that talks about is that threshold was the first place you'd come into the temple, <clears throat> excuse me, and start to worship. And what they did is rather than acknowledge this is the place their God got defeated, they turned that into another place that they could worship their God and lift up their praise to Dagon as their God. So not only do they not acknowledge Jehovah God, they take God's de defeat of, of Dagon and turn it into a say, hey, well, you know what? This is just another chance for us to have one more way to worship Dagon. And you and I sit there and go, what? How blind? But again, we live in a culture that we see God in so many ways. And what do people do? People worship nature, not God. People worship people, not God. People worship family, not God. People worship finances, not God. People worship jobs, not God. We as Christians, who I believe the majority of us in this room are, can say, yes, but I'm a child of God. I've been redeemed by God. But yet I still, what idols do I place in my life? Do I really realize I, as a child of God, am worshiping the conquering king? who can defeat all the things in my life that are attacking me and besieging me, the territory that the devil takes in our life that we willingly give up. God's saying he wants to take all of it and wants to make us victorious. That's his plan and his purpose. But you know what? We oftentimes get overwhelmed by the fear of it and we worship, so to speak, the struggles of it rather than the power and majesty and might of Jehovah God. Now, God tried two different times in a very merciful and gracious way to say, hey, 
Philistines. I'm God, not Dagon. But they rejected. Instead, they worshiped Dagon even more. So then we see a very difficult verse, starting in verse 6. God is also the one who brings judgment. And it says this, The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. God tried in a merciful way to say, worship me. They rejected, so his judgment came on them. Now, tumors there could have meant many things. Some believe it had to do with the intestines. Some believe it was a black plague, their form of the black plague. We know it was deadly. We know that it killed lots of people. We know that it scared people. It said terrified. It really took a huge effect on them. And it started in Ashdod. Why? Because that's where the ark was at. And verse 7, And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, the ark of God of Israel must not remain with us, for this, his hand is hard against us and against Dagon, our God. Now, again, you would have thought they knew this was God that was bringing this on them. <laughs> you would have thought they would have said, Dagon, save us. No, what did they say? Get the ark out of here. That God is the one getting us. So even in their minds, they knew Dagon couldn't, couldn't defeat God, Jehovah. But their solution wasn't to deal with their hearts and come in subservience to God, Jehovah, and say, you're God, save us. They said, get rid of the ark. Again, it's easy for me to go, you knuckleheads. But then I think of the times I'm knuckleheaded when God points out sin in my life, and I excuse it, and I argue against it, instead of confessing it and recognizing I need to go to God and to deal with it. So Ashdod gets it out of their area, their territory. In verse 8, isn't it easy just to shift your problems to somebody else? So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines. Verse number uh, 8 we're in. This would have been all the tribal or the clan leaders. And they said, what shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? Again, the question should have been, what should we do with God, Jehovah God? It's what do we do with this ark? They answered, let the ark of the God of Israel be brought to, around to Gath. We'll just shift it to somebody else. So they brought the ark of God of Israel, of the God of Israel there. But, verse 9, after they had brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against that city, causing a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so the tumors broke out on them. Now, interestingly, you're going to notice through here, he takes his vengeance out on the men of the city. Again, trying to get their attention, going after that part of it. So the same thing happens in Gath that had just happened in Ashdod. Verse number 10, so they sent the ark of God to Ekron. Now, you would have thought, this shows you that the people that lived in Gath weren't quite real smart. They just heard what happened to Ashdod. Yeah, sure, bring the ark to us in Gath. Well, now what happened in Gath, well, the Ekronites, they caught a little bit like, whoa, wait a minute here. Ark, really bad thing. Something's going on here. And so do they say. Verse 10, they sent the ark of God to Ekron. But as soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, the people cried out. They brought around to us the ark of the God of Israel to kill us and our people. They knew what was going to happen. Verse 11, they sent therefore and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it return to its own place. 
that he may not kill us and our people. For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city. The hand of God was very heavy there. The men who did not die were struck with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. Ashdod, horrible things happen. Gath, horrible things happen. Gets on the outskirts of Ekron, they say, no, we don't want it. And they say, we need to send this back where it belongs. You know, I find that interesting, that phrase there, because I do find it to some people as I read the scriptures and hear the responses to the gospel, and even some people I talk to, rather than saying, I need God, well, you know what, that person needs God, or we need to get God over there, just get him away from me. Now, folks, I just want to give you a few takeaways from this passage. My first question I got to ask you is, who are you worshiping? I didn't ask you if you're a child of God. I asked you who you're worshiping. You can be a child of God and be worshiping something besides God. And I want to ask each of you to take time today to get out your calendar, to look through your text and phone calls, to look at your bank account, to look at your social media, and just ask yourself the question, what does that tell me about who I am? The one thing that I remember Caleb told me when he was, as he's gone through everything is, he, the way that God used scripture verses sent to him, texts that people were praying for him, he didn't respond back oftentimes, but God used that to impact his life even when we didn't know about it. So I'm not asking you to look at the results of those spots. I'm asking you, what are you doing? Do you pray for others? Do you get in the word? Do you give to others? Do you invest in others? Our theme as a church is a very simple one. Love God, love others. But it's really hard to live. Because I love John, and that's easy to do, but I first need to say, Lord, help me day by day to love you better, to know you better, to get to know you and what you want for my life. And then how can I use that to love those people around me in a way that will honor you? and it'll glorify you. Who are you worshiping? The second thing I want to ask you, do you see him, capital H, as conquer? Christians, I feel that too often we live in a defeated mindset. We don't believe that greater is he that is in me, is, excuse me, that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We don't believe that. We don't believe that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We allow fear and hopelessness and news headlines and challenging situations to invade our every thought and action, and it controls us, and we fail to see the conquering king that Jehovah God is. Folks, he wants to break the chains in your life. He wants to get rid of the, the, the devil as he takes territory in your life. He wants to show you how real he is, but you've got to give him the opportunity to do that. And oftentimes he is, we just need to open our eyes and to be able to see it. And the last thing I want to ask you is, are you his child? Do you know Jehovah God? Have you come to a point in your life when you understand you're a sinner who needs a savior? And you've accepted the gift of salvation that comes through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You're now his. To be in the hands 
of a loving God is the most secure place that you could ever be, the most peaceful place, the most hopeful place. If you're not his child, I encourage you today, accept his gift. Become his child. Christian, take some time today to reflect on the beauty and the power of the love of God in your life. Journal it. Look around and see all the amazing things that we forget that he is doing and be reminded of that. Put visuals in your home. Put visuals on your phone. Put visuals all around you that say, I am his child. He's at work in me and loves me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this story. Thank you for the clarity that you gave me as I read it and just a reminder of the God that you are. Lord, you really wanted the Philistine nation to embrace you, Father. What a difference that would have made. Lord, I don't know where I would be if you had not saved me, God. Thank you for the gift of salvation. And I pray over this crowd right now, God. I pray for those that are your children that as they look at their lives, they know that they're worshiping something else. Lord, please break those chains. Lift off, Lord, the, the blocks on their eyes that is preventing them to see the truth of what you want for them, God. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't have a relationship with you, that they'd understand how simple it is. It's surrendering and saying, Lord, save me. Forgive me and save me. Thank you, Lord, for your word and the power that it has in your precious name.